it was in the article called Top 20 Russian Comedians. And uh, I was happy to be in this article, but then I read the intro to this article, and it said, Russian government hates comedians. <laughs> it threatens them, it imprisons them, and here are top 20 comedians to watch. <laughs> I was like, I don't wanna be in this article anymore. Why do you make it easier for them? Why don't you put my home address into this fucking article? That's Denise Chujoy, or Dan the Stranger, a stand-up comedian who left Russia and resettled in Europe after his criticism of the invasion of Ukraine made it unsafe for him to continue telling jokes in his home country. For this week's show, I spoke to Dan and to Sasha Dolgopolov, another comedian forced to emigrate amid Russia's worsening crackdown on free speech. On a recent episode of this podcast, we looked at Russia's music scene amid the war in Ukraine. This time, we're diving into the conflict's effect on stand-up comedy. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Howdy folks, I'm your host Kevin Rothrock, and this week we're taking another look at the lives of creative professionals fleeing persecution in Russia amid the war in Ukraine. If you thought it sounded hard for musicians to move abroad and maintain their art in a foreign country, imagine how much more difficult that is when your craft is standing in front of a crowd to tell jokes. Both Dan the Stranger and Sasha Dolgopolov are now performing in English as well, adapting their work in hopes of broadening their audience and developing their careers as comedy performers. Dan spoke out publicly against Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine on the day it started, February 24th, 2022. In those early days, he and several other comedians also signed an open letter condemning the war. Afterward, he began getting threats from people who didn't much like his opposition to Russia's so-called special military operation. Men claiming to be mercenaries from the now infamous Wagner Group sent him death threats. At a performance in Vologda, somebody came to the show and handed him a funeral wreath. In June 2022, Dan announced on his YouTube channel that he was leaving the country, saying that the death threats over his anti-war position had simply become too much. In that announcement, he played the audio from one of these messages where a voice threatens to fly there in a Russian fucking military helicopter, fully fucking loaded with ammunition. As he fled his homeland, fearing for his life, Dan still found some comedy in the situation. It sucked at first, it was even a bit scary, he told his viewers. But then these people started pretending to be Chechen, and it got a little easier because these guys imitate the Chechen accent the same way that Moscow comedians do it. I asked Dan when he decided that he had had enough of Russia, that it was time for him to leave and try to make it in the West. I guess it was, uh, I decided to leave, uh, it was 21st of February of 2022. I guess just by the evening we, uh, we made this decision with my wife and we started like selling stuff. In just one month we left, it was, uh, yeah, I guess the war was the last straw, like the active, the biggest phase of the war. My other guest this week, comedian Sasha Dolgopolov, also encountered problems in Russia before leaving the country and eventually resettling in Berlin. Dolgopolov described an incident in 2020 when the police took an interest in an old performance after it appeared on YouTube. Interior ministry officials in Moscow approached the nightclub in St. Petersburg that had hosted Dolgopolov and demanded that the organizers hand over all the information they had on this comedian. It was later revealed that the whole case was based on a complaint filed by a woman in a town outside Moscow whose feelings were hurt by one of Dolgopolov's jokes about religion. The routine in question relies on Russian-language wordplay, so bear with me as I try to explain it. Dolgopolov joked that Christ should have been named Bogdan instead of Jesus, Bogdan's literal meaning in Russian being gift from God. The joke went like this. 
I'm surprised Jesus wasn't called Bogdan. The Virgin Mary really fucked up there, I think. Hey, how did you have a child? Well, I got pregnant from God. Fuck, woman, you missed your chance. It was happening gradually, you know, because um, uh, the first time I left Russia was uh, three years ago when um, some uh, guy reported to the police on me because of uh, my joke about Jesus. And in Russia, we have this uh, law against uh, offending religious beliefs. And this guy reported on me to the police and I got scared incredibly and also well, that was just a random basic joke. It was not offensive at all. And I myself uh, am a religious person. So that was uh, very upsetting, you know, and also very discouraging. And also it was very irritating. And I decided that I, I don't even want to deal with that. And I felt so dirty because uh, the police started, you know, sending requests to a stand-up club. So they uh, provide information about me and stuff. And I decided to leave and I thought that it would be like forever. But uh, then uh, COVID started and it seemed that they forgot about me <laughs> and I returned for a while. But I had this, I kept this idea to leave when it would be possible. And then next time when I realized that I should hurry was when uh, a friend of mine told a joke about uh, Russians and he was an immigrant and he told a joke about Russians and uh, first he got mobbed on the internet but then he got attacked in real life but by some like fanatics and uh, Nazis and then he got arrested and then finally he was expelled from Russia for 40 years and that was a turning point for all comedians I think uh, that I knew because before we had this illusion that like they don't know about us or they don't care Sasha is describing a scandal in August 2021 when police jailed comedian Idrak Mirzaladzadzeh for 10 days on charges of inciting ethnic hatred. Mirzaladzadzeh's speech crime came during a comedy show where he joked about how xenophobia makes it difficult for people who don't look like white Slavs to rent apartments in Russia. Even after Mirzaladzadzeh, a Belarusian citizen, apologized for offending those who didn't appreciate his remarks, the Interior Ministry designated him as permanently undesirable and banned him from Russia for life. He was later able to contest that decision in court and knock down his expulsion to a mere 14 years. That's still in effect today. And we had this illusion that we live in some parallel universe where you can speak relatively freely. And that was the turning point when we realized that we are in this very <laughs> reality when it's where like all these repressions are happening. And that was the point where when I realized that I need to put more effort into trying to live. And uh, I had this idea to move to Berlin because I thought that it is uh, a city with a lot of possibilities to perform both in Russian and in English. And I even went to German classes in Moscow. So I was preparing myself to leave Russia. 
and I had this plan to move to Berlin. But then the war started, and uh, that very day when the war started, I realized that I wanted to act. Last years in Russia, you could feel more and more pressure and less and less freedom. You still had some instruments, like uh, particularly as a uh, performer. So uh, before the war, if something bad happens, you could, for example, organize a charity event like for example for political prisoners or something so that was both useful and that was i think that a good statement so it was also like very i think performative a performative act and uh, that very day when the war started me and my manager we woke up and we saw this horrible news and we got like really angry and we decided like this very morning to organize a anti-war concert and as soon as we announced it, comedians that I invited to the show started calling me and saying that they received threats. And I got very scared and I like and they started to drop out of this uh, event. And I realized that you can't do that now. So the times changed in a day and you can't do charity gigs anymore to express your position. And I started thinking, what else can you do? And at this point, I saw that a lot of like people of different professions, they started doing open letters against the war. And there was no letter from comedians. And I offered to my friends to write such a letter. And we wrote this letter collectively, like an open letter against the war from comedians. And we started to, me and a friend of mine, we started to write to different stand-up clubs around the country to um, ask if they can, if they want to sign this letter. And surprisingly, we like, I had this uh, feeling that uh, comedy community in Russia is uh, quite uh, apolitical, but we gathered more than, I think, like 200 uh, signs for this letter, and that was very supportive, and we published that letter, and we sent this, like, uh, there were even signs from TV comedians, so, like, there were, uh, like, popular comedians, just, like, comedians that just started out to perform very, very diverse crowd. And uh, we sent this letter to different uh, media and we published that. And after we published this letter, comedians who signed this letter also started to receive threats and they started to ask uh, to remove their names from this letter. And finally, eventually, uh, we had to hide this letter. A week after the war started, uh, me and my ex and my uh, manager, we left Russia and we went to Georgia. And as soon as we went there, I started going to a uh, humanitarian aid, this place. And uh, I started, uh, well, basically I started doing all the things that I uh, felt I couldn't do in Russia. I started organizing uh, charity gigs. Uh, in support for Ukraine. I started um, talking about this on stage. I started posting a lot about the war. I uh, lived in Georgia for three months and then I went to Estonia and from Estonia I went to Berlin where I live now. So yeah, basically uh, when uh, we moved to Georgia and uh, I calmed down a little, I started thinking how to went back to my initial plan of moving to Berlin. 
After leaving Russia, Dan the Stranger brought his show on the road, touring cities across Europe. In February 2023, he joined a comedy tour of the United States with Alexander Nezlovin, another Russian comedian who emigrated after the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. What's it been like to leave Russia and try to find a new home? Of course, it was hard. Uh, it was like we just uh, made this leap of faith, you know, like uh, Indiana Jones did in this movie. We just uh, we just left and decided to see uh, what we can do. So uh, that is why we chose Turkey, because it was easier to get legal there and um, get an apartment and stuff like that. And after that, we started like my tour did surprisingly well. So I visited lots of countries and I, I got a chance to uh, see different cities as uh, potential cities to live in. And uh, we visited Berlin and like a lot of people, a lot of people said that uh, it's pretty easy to get a freelance visa if, you, if you're able to prove that you're an artist and uh, it's not safe for you to go back. And uh, luckily I, I recorded those uh, death threats that I received on my phone. So it was easy for me to prove it. So um, we considered it for, like, for a couple of months and then uh, we just moved to Berlin and uh, we've been living here since. Hearing Dan talk about life in Berlin, I asked Sasha if they feel like Berlin has become the capital of Russian expat comedians. I think that it's not really because uh, there are several cities, I think, in the world now where there is a strong... Russian-speaking comedy community. I think uh, uh, first we have Tbilisi. There are several comedians that I know, and they're like very funny, and they even managed to start their own YouTube channel and their own production, which is really hard, which was really hard even in Russia, but in immigration, when everybody is poor, and especially when you live in Georgia, where you don't really have connections and everything is very limited. So it's very impressive that they managed to do that. Sasha's referring to the Co-Migration Project, a group of comedians who left Russia after the February 2022 invasion and now live in the capital of Georgia, where they've launched a YouTube channel with various shows in Russian, though there's also machine-generated English-language subtitles. The comedians also have a stand-up club in Tbilisi. One of the project's members is Ariana Lolieva, who endured her own scandal in Russia's comedy world in 2021 after a roast battle from a year earlier suddenly caught the attention of offended critics. In the performance, a fellow comic tells Lolieva that she has a Setian pie between her thighs, a sexualized allusion to a dish of special significance for Assetians, particularly because of associations with the Rite of the Three Pies, which, according to some versions of the folklore, symbolizes God, the Sun, and the Earth. Lolieva, who is herself Assetian, apologized in multiple tearful messages on social media. In her second apology, she indicated that she got a serious talking to and now understood the full tragedy and level of colossal damage inflicted on everyone who saw the joke. She also revealed that the scandal had cost her her job, and many of her friends. Also, there is a strong community in uh, Yerevan. I think, like, basically, Russian-speaking comedians now are everywhere, but these are two, I think, uh, biggest communities. And in Berlin, it's there is a Russian-speaking comedy community, but it mainly consists of people who are just starting out and uh, they started doing stand-up here in Berlin. And... Uh, there are several comedians who have been doing stand-up for quite a long time. Denis Chujoy, Kirill Sietlov, uh, me, 
but uh, I I can't call it a community because everybody seems to act more on their own. So I think like in Berlin, the community is only in the process of uh, gathering, you know, so people are still trying to find uh, common ground, you know, and to understand how they can be useful for each other and how they could interact. And also, I think the problem in Berlin, what stops people from um, cooperating uh, Russian-speaking comedians is that uh, mostly here we tend to switch to English. I also asked Dan about language in his performances. Is he still working mainly in Russian or is he leaning more on English these days? It's not a lot of shows uh, here in Russian, so I just uh, almost exclusively perform in English. But that's okay because uh, it's... Uh, if you're if you are outside Russia, it feels like your ability to perform in Russian it's very limited, like to the amount of um, people who left Russia this particular wave or before. And um, it feels like Russian-speaking people they adapt very quickly to new countries. They learn languages, and uh, I guess uh, performing in English it's uh, the only wise decision business-wise, because uh, otherwise you just lose your audience because they find friends, they, they find local comedians, and <laughs> they forget about you, so you have to be with them. What about performing in German? Any thoughts on that? I would very much love to, because uh, it feels like local stars are huge. Like uh, You don't know them outside Germany, but here they could fill arenas, so... I guess if I if I'm able to perform in German at some point of my life, I will definitely do that because it's like Russian comedy five years ago when uh, there were not enough TV level comedians, so you could get a TV appearance after just like one year of doing comedy. So it's it, it feels like uh, it's the same in Germany. So I hope Duolingo helps me. If you live in the United States. Whether you know it or not, you're probably familiar with a certain career path for comedians. In Russia, there are two diametrically different approaches to professional comedy. The performers who've made it on television, whether they like it or not, are now part of Russian state propaganda. For example, the popular TV comedians Azamat Musagalyov and Denis Derekhov, who weren't previously known for making overtly pro-war statements, traveled to occupied Ukraine in September 2023 and performed at a memorial dedicated to the Soviet liberation of the Donetsk region in World War II. They told a local TV station that they wished the people of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic peaceful skies overhead, health, and smiles from loved ones. Meanwhile, independent comedians rely on social media, especially YouTube and Instagram, to reach mass audiences. Despite the risks of addressing current events, there are still comedians who ridicule claims by state officials and talk about Russia's growing isolation from the West amid the invasion of Ukraine. Is stand-up comedy popular in Russia? Like, what's the career path for comedians? You mentioned that you can get a TV gig after just, like, a year of touring. Like, is it... I mean, the United States, my understanding is, like, you, you know, you, like, perform at nightclubs, and then maybe you, like, get a tour, or you join a tour, and then maybe you get a special, and, like, back in the day, you'd get, like, a sitcom or jump to the movies or go on SNL or something. Like, is there a, a clear career line for comedians in Russia? I guess uh, the industry is not uh, established as well as in the United States. So it's just your local uh, open mics and shows. Then uh, as you build your audience, you can travel to Moscow. And then you either 
perform on TV or you become a like so-called YouTube comedian. And basically that's it because um, a few comedians went from this to like movies and stuff like that. But mostly you just uh, uh, become a well-established comedian uh, on this level. And that's more than enough to have a decent life and have a decent career. So it's mostly TV shows or YouTube. Can you walk me through your process for building a routine? Like how long does it take you to create like a tight five or tight three or 10 or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's always amusing to me that comedians, you, you watch them do stand up and maybe they do a five minute set. And if you look into it further, it sometimes takes weeks or months or even like years to get like this, like five minutes of, of jokes that seem almost improvised. I mean, sometimes I know there, there are improvisational comedians, but like, how long does it take you to do that? I guess it's it's the case uh, again. It's the case for the United States because the the amount of comedians uh, you have is astonishing. So you can't you can't do well if, without those tight five that represent you. That you can you you can spend like years honing those tight five. And for me, it's not the same because I need to earn money now. <laughs> so I have to come up with an hour of comedy as soon as possible, and then I will fine tune it. Um, during my tour, actually. So now I'm I'm writing pretty fast. So I I already have about an hour of comedy after leaving uh, Russia. Um, sometimes, like it, uh, it's not a like you can't describe it. It's, they differ. Like the cases differ. Sometimes you write type five like in one hour, and sometimes it takes months to get uh, decent uh, jokes. So I prefer like uh, as I. Uh, I admire comedians like Mario Birbiglia, who prefer like storytelling uh, style of comedy, and uh, I will try to like come up with a, a whole hour of at least ideas, and then I fill them up with with like proper jokes. So I don't know how to describe it. Just I write in big chunks, and then I try to fine tune it. And so when you when you talk about writing jokes, like are you at your laptop and you're writing it out as like prose? Or are you writing it on napkins? Are you like writing it in ketchup on the wall? Like what's the actual like sitting down writing process like for you? I'm sure everyone's different, but what about for you? I prefer uh, notebooks. Pen and paper, you mean? Like by hand? Yeah, pen and paper. Yeah, this uh, type of stuff. Because um, my brain is too fast because I, I try to think about three things at a time and uh, your laptop has Spotify <laughs> in it and mm. it has Twitter and it's a, and it, it, it ruins you. So uh, I try to be like at least one meter away from my laptop and just write in my notebook. And if something come, comes up, I just add it to my big note of jokes. Do you write your English language jokes in English or do you write them in Russian and translate them later? At this time, it's, it, it's a mess because uh, I... Uh, I try to write in English, but sometimes I don't have enough vocabulary for it, so I switch to Russian, and then uh, I find my flow and I switch back to English. And uh, my notes are incomprehensible. I just, uh, <laughs> I, you have to like just sit down and uh, choose a language you write it down. And yeah, so now, now I'm, I'm in between languages because uh, I uh, I need to perform and speak English, but. Uh, my brain works in Russian, so I'm be in between. I hope I'll uh, I'll get better in English because uh, you know comedians I admire they they write on stage, so they just talk about things they're interested in and they add punchlines while performing. And uh, it seems like uh, 
like the best way to write material, but I'm not there yet because I'm still, my brain is still wired in, in Russian. So um, I'm just getting there. I'm trying to speak English as, uh, as much as possible. It's basically very hard because uh, I've never performed in English before that much, of course. Like in Moscow, we had stand up in English, but we had I think like two or three shows and I never took it seriously. Now I feel that it's very hard for me to perform in English. My English level is like B1 or B2 and uh, the most depressing and the most discouraging and the hardest part for me is that in Russian, I don't write material. I've been doing stand-up for 10 years and through this time, I tried several uh, techniques of uh, writing material. So I tried uh, like literally writing, you know, when you write a setup and then you try to come up with a punchline. Then I tried the free writing. It's when you are just uh, writing like a free flow of thought and everything that comes out of your head. You're just writing that down and then you reread it and you are trying to pick uh, setups from this like crazy text. And also like at some point I tried just uh, improvising on stage, going on stage with a setup and trying to find where um, like if I can find the punchline there. And I realized that this technique is uh, the most suitable for me. And I like stopped doing anything else. So I started just basically going on open mics and doing my own work in progress shows where I can just improvise, you know, for an hour or two. So how much do you know? How much in advance, like how much do you know of what you're going to say and how much is totally improvised? Go ahead more. Well, it depends, you know, like sometimes during the day, just uh, I can come up with a whole joke and I just write it down and then I just uh, tell it uh, on stage. Sometimes I come up with uh, just a setup or a just an observation, you know, about the weather or I don't know, Putin or like whatever about cats. Uh, sometimes I have just a feeling that I want to tackle like a uh, particular topic and like it very depends and i and then i just go to an open mic or on my own uh, work in progress show and i'm trying to riff you know and to find like a uh, real jokes if i feel that i came up with a joke and it's funny then i put it into my regular program that i do you know on uh, a tour and that's basically the process and uh, in english it's harder because uh, because I'm not good enough at English to improvise. But uh, what supports me is that even despite the fact that I have such a broken English and I don't feel uh, fluent enough and it's hard for me, I feel that I have been gathering uh, more and more jokes. And by now I have, I think, like 15 minutes. Yeah, but if uh, local producers ask me how much I have, I always tell that I have like twice <laughs> more as I really have, you know, just to, to have more stage time, yes. Do the same jokes, does the same kind of comedy work in Russian as in English? Like, are you able to take a lot of your jokes that you used in Russian or the jokes that you're thinking of in Russian and essentially just translate them into English? Or do you find that that doesn't work? 
it works surprisingly well. I thought that I would uh, I would have to change my brain completely, but most of the time it's just um, if you speak about some like Russian insane stuff like uh, cops coming to comedy shows and stuff like that. It just takes uh, a little bit more time to explain how is it possible to see an undercover cop during a comedy show. Some context here. Cops showing up at comedy shows is another sign of the times in Russia today. Since February 2022, comedians say it's become common to see in the audience officers from Center E, the Interior Ministry's so-called counter-extremism task force. Human rights activists accuse this police division of persecuting government critics. Last year, stand-up comedian Kristina Bitkulova told journalists at MediaZona that she was warned just before a show that Senari had placed agents in the audience to watch her set. Almost on the way to the stage, I changed all the names in my jokes from Russian political figures to Belarusians, Bitkulova later recalled, adding, The meaning didn't really change. It's like we knew, or at least we guessed, when it would be our turn in the crackdown. We were just waiting and guessing about who would be the first to get their ticket punched. It's less about restricting free speech than warning people that they can lose their freedom for saying the wrong thing or telling the wrong joke. And when you see that people are shocked or <laughs> at least interested, you can uh, use your punchlines. Your task is a little bit uh, more difficult. It's just like it's harder to explain uh, the Russian life in English. But most of the times it's, just, it's the same comedy. I understand that you were recently on tour with Alexander Nizalobin. Is that right? Was it in the United States? Yep. Now you're touring Europe, or you were recently touring Europe? Yeah, I just started my new tour. This this time it's uh, it's fully in English, yeah. And how's that going? Like, do you have a sense of who the audience is for this sort of thing? Is it like expats, or is it like locals? I know you said it's in English. It's uh, mostly my Russian audience, but this time uh, they are able to bring their friends and uh, husbands. <laughs> my favorite uh, type of uh, audience is like... Uh, my audience members husbands okay. <laughs> because uh, it's sometimes like uh, women are like uh, i'm finally able to sh uh, show my husband uh, what's the stuff about like why i uh, laugh so much at this guy <laughs> and uh, they're happy as well uh, they seem happy after the shows i try to talk to them and they, they seem to understand what i'm talking about is it because the russian women marry foreign men or because you appeal specifically to russian women you a sex symbol <laughs> No, I don't think I, okay. I'm that kind of a comedian. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, it seems like uh, Russian women are usually responsible for uh, for the culture in, in families, and they choose uh, cultural events to, to attend. It was the case in Russia when, like, I usually saw, like, happy girls and their boyfriends seemed bored <laughs> in the first row. <laughs> and I guess it's the same uh, in Europe, like, uh, women bring their husbands or their boyfriends, but here they seem happier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rus Russian boyfriends are, are not that happy about coming to a comedy show. I went to an open mic, and after uh, the show, a uh, Australian couple came up to us comedians and they asked this question and we had a conversation about it. And uh, I think that it's hard for me to realize that because I've been always trying to do more of uh, alternative comedy. And I think that my and other alternative comedians, heroes, are basically the same people, no matter where you go. If you grow up as a alternative comedian in Russia, your favorite comedians are, I don't know, like Stuart Lee. Because I don't know about you, 
but I can't really relax or enjoy myself unless I'm drunk. Uh, <laughs> Uh, particularly in the evenings, because the, the voices come. You were sitting there trying to watch, aren't you? And the voices come, don't they? And they go, kill yourself, you stupid fucking idiot. And you go, ah, no! But if you, if you drink, they go quiet, don't they? You know what I'm talking about. Like Mitch Hedberg. I was at a casino, I was standing by the door. <laughs> and a security guy came over and said, you're going to have to move. You're blocking the fire exit. As though if there was a fire, I wasn't gonna run. <laughs> if you're flammable and have legs, you are never blocking a fire exit. Or uh, like some, like Doug Stanhope or something like, people like that. Nationalism does nothing but teach you how to hate people that you never met and all of a sudden, you take pride in accomplishments you had no part in whatsoever, and you brag about. Yeah. And when you go to Berlin and you meet other alternative comedians, they grew up on like the same stand-up as you, and so that influences your comedy the way that basically it's very similar and it attracts very similar crowds. So whenever I did stand-up in Russia and uh, I did like my solo shows or I did uh, uh, gigs at uh, the stand-up club number one in Moscow, I I feel that I had like pretty much the same audience as I have uh, here in Berlin, just uh, going to open mics. I feel that uh, comedy is quite different in different countries and parts of the world when we're talking about mainstream comedy. So I think this is where it's different, but also not that really. One of the things that I've noticed about Russian comedians that come to the West is that a lot of their routine, and this is true, I guess, of all comedians, everyone kind of talks about their identity to some degree, um, but a lot of Russian comedians especially, they talk about, you know, being Russian and they play around a lot with Russian stereotypes, you know, whether it's like vodka swilling, whatever, like, you know, authoritarianism. Sometimes it's just like a almost racial stereotype. Sometimes it's just like a joke about the Putin regime and so on. So I don't want to like say those are the same exact things, but they're stereotypes to some degree. I wonder... Does that feel, do you feel like it's liberating to like be outside of Russia and be able to say whatever you want and like the cops are not going to knock down your door? Or does it feel like, does it ever feel limiting? Like, oh, I have to go up there. Everyone's expecting jokes about, you know, like the Russian stereotypes. So I have to do those. Or do you feel like, oh, I want to do those? Like, what does it feel like? I feel like I have a little bit more tools that uh, like an average comedian has because uh, most of the time I try to be like I try to represent Russia as the Russians as uh, normal people who have who listen to the same music who watch uh, same movies and stuff like that and sometimes occasionally I use a, a joke about uh, like Russian winter or about Putin and stuff like that so I just have more angles to to talk about things I, I'm interested in like I talk about uh, living in uh, Germany as uh, like an average expat and then at the same time i can compare it to some to some, to some stuff in russia and that gives me two different jokes so it's it's more than uh, a german comedian could come up with i hope uh, that i uh, i come back to russia one day and uh, when putin dies of course and and we will need to like restore russia's reputation in the world because it's so fucked up right now and we will need some good pr guys to restore the reputation 
And I think we will need those guys who did PR for Austria. Because if you Google, you will find out that Adolf Hitler was born in Austria. But somehow they made everyone think that Hitler is German. And if you tell to an Austrian like uh, Hitler is Austrian, they'll say, no, 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 no. Mozart is Austrian, Mozart. And we will need these guys to fix our reputation and maybe one day we will make everyone think that Putin is from Poland. That, that's what we need. When I was uh, there, when I was in Russia, I knew about comedians who left Russia and who uh, started doing stand-up in English. And I knew uh, relatively modern examples. And also there is, I think the most famous example is a comedian whose name is uh, Yakov Smirnov. And uh, I don't know if you know this comedian, but uh, Yakov Smirnov. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's pretty well known in America. <laughs> in Soviet Russia, he's like, yeah, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. what a country <laughs> and uh, yeah. everything like that. So many things that can be confusing, like the word yep. In English means yes, in Russian it means to be intimate. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And I, so I'm saying to her, would you like to go on a date with me? And she said, yep. <laughs> I'm going, what a country, all right. I really like Yakov Smirnov. And even when I was in Russia, sometimes I rewatched these uh, sets because I found them funny, but also I I thought of him as an example of a like very simplified comedian, comedian who has only one topic. And it's very sometimes, especially as a person from Russia, you hear his jokes. And even though they like are like well written and funny, you can understand that these are stereotypes and stuff. So I, I had this sort of skeptical perception of these comedians, you know, and I thought about them as like uh, weak, uh, like in a way weak people, you know, that don't really want to try or explore their comedy identity. And when I left Russia, and especially when I got here, and I finally acquired this uh, possibility to perform in English for English-speaking crowd, I realized that actually like, it's very hard to not to talk about it because it's a very important thing that affects your life on a daily basis, you know, your past experience and uh, from where you come from and uh, like the language that you speak and the obstacles that you face in your life. And uh, the comedy that I've been doing for all these 10 years is basically just my personal experiences and my thoughts and my observations. And uh, I put a lot of effort into being honest and sincere and talking only about the things that I feel are important. And I see that like these topics and these like observations about my uh, national identity and my culture, they like come out very uh, uh, naturally, you know? So I don't put extra efforts into like trying to write jokes about me being Russian, but um, 
I come up with these ideas and thoughts just on a daily basis, you know, like I'm thinking about, like I'm trying to cross a border and I'm like automatically thinking about my passport and then I have an observation about it. Or uh, I don't know, I uh, experience life in Berlin as a queer person with uh, a Russian background. And I have observations about it. So basically, it comes out uh, naturally. And uh, I, I'm i not really afraid of it at this point. I'm not afraid that it would, you know, destroy my career. Because I think at this point, I already can handle such things. Because I think that I already have uh, some exper- some similar experiences, you know, when you start talking about a certain topic and then people like it and they demand more of this and uh, I think that at this point of my career I already can keep my uh, integrity you know and uh, not to obey to the audience I am able already not to let them take control of my career yeah, and, and uh, my uh, my assumption is that at some point I'll just be done with this topic and I'll write, uh, at some point I will write all the jokes that I can uh, about being from Russia. And uh, more than that, I am uh, further and further away from this uh, past and from this culture and from this language. And I think that... I will have less and less thoughts and observations about it. And I will have uh, different problems and a different life. I am a non-binary and I feel uh, weird about it, uh, considering that I live in Berlin now, because in Russia we have a lot of anti-European propaganda saying that everybody in Europe is gay. And uh, basically, everything that you do, you just go to endless gay parades. (laughs) Wearing only leather underpants. Having sex with each other on the streets. And when my family was watching that on TV, they were horrified, like, oh God! Luckily, our traditional values are under protection here in Russia. (laughs) But I always felt different, so when I was watching that, I was like, Oh God, I have to go there. (laughs) This is the place where I belong. So I moved to Europe, and it turned out that it was a lie. I mean, (laughs) for sure here are some gay and trans people, but not like everyone. (laughs) So to be honest, I'm furious about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel outrageous whenever I see this fucking cis hetero fucking families with their cis hetero stupid fucking infant cis hetero babies. <laughs> so I think that for me, Russian propaganda is false advertisement. That's what it is. <laughs> and my plan now is to sue Europe. <laughs> for being not queer enough. <laughs> so I feel that's a very natural thing. And, and also when I'm talking about, like I'm trying to talk about my personal experiences and uh, not stereotypes, so which is also important and it helps me not to feel, you know, ashamed or uh, guilty as a comedian and not to feel hacky. That's what I mean. 
Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week. Mm-hmm.